You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm kind of excited. This is good, and uh, I'm encouraged. We are in a sub-series called The Church Encouraged, and... Um, that is what we are doing right now. We are seeking to be encouraged. We got some encouragement this week as well. We got the green light, of course, as you know, from the government to make plans to regather. And as we have communicated, we will officially, officially regather as a church one week from today, June 21st. Father's Day, um, just to, for all those, again, watching right now, it, it won't look the same. It will uh, be different, but we pray we will be super united and super encouraged through it all as well. So uh, when I received the news uh, this week, it was right around noon or so on Monday, um, honestly, I was surprised. I was uh, taken aback. I was then very excited. Uh, just the idea of preaching to actual people again. What a concept. Praise the Lord. And again, I, man, I, yes, this is so good. Thank you, Lord. I, I'm personally so happy uh, about that. What a difference, man. The whole empty room thing was getting old, I'm telling you. It was getting old. And just to, just to know that you're here and you're awake and have Bibles open and, and, and leaning in. And, and, and yeah, I'm excited. That's so good. So, Lord, thank you for that. And we pray in the days and weeks to come you will lead us. In that as well. And just the idea of encouraging one another, the idea of being in person and praying for each other, the idea of seeking the Lord together, of, 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 of receiving the word together, of sensing the Holy Spirit together, the idea of being the church together, together, as, as designed by God. What a joy and, and what a blessing! What a, what a treasure! Now hear me again, this is not rushing back to 4,000 people, that's impossible right now. We're going to have to give grace to each other, we must hear that as a church, we must hear that. We must serve each other as we begin to regather and as others are not able to do that. This is a season we are called to sacrifice for one another in a new way. It's going to look and it's going to feel different, but this also becomes an opportunity for the church body to be a church family. So once again, as I open my Bible to our text this week in Acts chapter 20, I encourage you to do that as well here or at home. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And on Monday morning when I was looking at it, I wondered at the message. And just you're always trying to figure out how does this apply where we are right now um, in our world and all that. So I was looking at Monday morning. I was honestly a little bit puzzled. Then the news came in about the plans that we could regather in some form about like a, a couple hours later. And then I returned to the text on Monday afternoon and I looked at it with uh, detail and closely and I began to become amazed. Because the heart of our text in Acts chapter 20 is about the church regathering. In fact, in verse 7, there's an incredible and wonderful description of ecclesiology. And I can't wait to unpack that as the heart of our text in time with you today. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. It's made up of two Greek words meaning assembly and word. Which when you bring them together, it means the study of the church, ecclesiology. And that's what's in our text today. I mean, how, 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 how awesome is that? 
when the Holy Spirit started to connect the dots for me as I saw what was coming this week and saw what was in our text today, I literally had tears in my eyes. Because in other words, our passage today allows us to study why the gathered church is so beautiful. And on top of that, the church in this text witnesses a miracle of epic proportions. So all that to say this, here's our sermon title today, it's this, A Miracle as the Church Gathers. A Miracle as the Church Gathers, and that has multiple meanings for us today. As we open up to Acts chapter 20, and you look at verses 1 to 6, what's happening here is Paul's travel is being summarized. You can look in verse 1, and after the uproar in Ephesus ceases, the text says that Paul goes into Macedonia, Then it says that Paul goes into Greece, the province of Achaia, and he likely was in Corinth. And it says that he was there again for a three-month period. The Jews plan to attack him. So then what he does, he changes his plans, and he actually returns, and he goes through Macedonia um, inland. Okay, so Again, for those of us, I get, to see, I get to see hands in person. Who loves maps in the church? Who loves them? Yay! Yay, that's so exciting. There's a lot. So let's, let's trace where we have been. So Ephesus in Acts 19, right? And so what happens here is Paul now goes again to Troas. He goes through Macedonia. He travels down again to Achaia and Corinth. He spends about three months there. And then the Jews are in a t- He's going to set sail for Syria the text says to Syria, but then he, he learns about that, so he changes, and he goes inland, and his route now, he goes back through the regions he came, and he comes, in our text now today, he comes and sails from Philippi now to Troas. And so this is where our text is situated. He spends a week in Troas, and that gives our context of what's happening as we pick up our text, okay? So I want you to see this, though, too, okay? This is such encouraging to me as well. As Paul returns to Troas, and the church eagerly, like he passed through there, he goes to Corinth, for three months, three months and some change, and then he comes back to Troas and the church gets to regather. What have we been doing for the last three months? You can read it in the text, man, it's right there. He stayed there for three months, so three months and some travel change, and the church at Troas was separated, at least from Paul, and they came back together to be together in that way, to fellowship in the Spirit of God on the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper with the Lord's Word and the Lord's people, and they came together in three months and changed back together. I just got spiritual goosebumps. That is awesome. That is awesome. And here we are in God's appointed day right now, and after three months and change, we in part are starting the plans to regather as a community of the Lord's people. And I mean, come on, aren't you encouraged? I'm actually encouraged. I mean, people at home, aren't you encouraged? That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Amen. Amen. I don't have to imagine clapping in my head. I get to hear it in person. Wow. Awesome. So here's our wonderful first point today. Point number one is this, the precious beauty of the gathered church. And we're going to camp out on verse seven for like the bulk of our time. The precious beauty of the gathered church. Look at verse seven. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. What follows um, as we go through the sub-outline, I owe some of this to Warren Wearsby, and some of this, again, kind of saw the flow of the text. But notice this here on the screen. Notice, first of all, the Lord's Day. 
As the church gathers together in verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together. What's the first day of the week? Of course, it's Sunday. Did you know that in God's word, this is the first clear reference of the early church meeting on Sunday as opposed to the Saturday Sabbath? Over time, the church was transitioning from, again, meeting from the Sabbath day in the synagogue and then starting to meet on the resurrection Sunday, again, modeling after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, over time, it began to be referred Sunday to the Lord's day. In fact, let's look at Revelation chapter 1 together for a second and look at this. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So that we start to see Sunday, again, because modeling after Jesus Christ raised from the dead on Sunday began to be called again the Lord's Day. It's a, also a cool reminder to remember that the church was born on Pentecost Sunday. The Lord's Day is a big deal to the Lord, and the Lord's Day needs to be a big deal to us, at the very least, in a powerful principle of the gathering of the church on a specific day. It becomes a powerful understanding of remembrance and, and, and a renewal. And in this sense, for the early church, and should be for us, and for me, it felt like this today. Every Sunday, in a sense, for believers, is Easter Sunday. Because Jesus Christ is alive, and he's been raised from the dead. And so when I woke up this morning, man, I was, I was excited and nervous, but also filled with joy with this understanding the Lord's day is for us to come together and to celebrate and to celebrate the reality, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we sang even today together, we sang at home or here that, that song, Glorious Day, and just the, the decla declaration, the testimony, again, that I have been, I've been left and I've been rescued from the grave because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, again, as, as we meet together, a reminder, it is like Easter Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. I mean, honestly, too, how many of your favorite moments ever have been gathered with the church and singing your victory in the Lord Jesus Christ? Just think about that. I mean, you just in the span of your life as a believer and in this church even here and how many times being together as the gathered church and tears filling your eyes and the Holy Spirit filling again your life as you sing the reality of your salvation and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something very special about gathering on the Lord's day. The Lord's Day was also significant because it confirmed this. It confirmed the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. It confirmed the transition from the Sabbath of the Old Covenant, now replaced with Sunday and the New Covenant, again, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that is awesome. This is a big deal, what's happening here in Acts chapter 20 and through, again, the early church. The transition, as we talked in, in previous weeks as well, the transition from the Old Covenant, as much as it was instantaneous when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the church gradually came along to see with more and more clarity, and as people were believers in foreign places, and then Paul would visit them, and he would kind of bring them up to speed and start to say, no, this is what's happening now. And the, the, the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, how exciting that is. And think about this too, in the New Covenant, well, as in the New Covenant, unlike the Old Covenant, at Pentecost, when the Spirit of God is given, all of us right now, believers in Jesus Christ, all of us have the Holy Spirit living within us. And think about this, this is such a, a good insight, again, read this week. The Holy Spirit in each of us draws us, draws within us to gather on the Lord's day. 
I want you to think about that. The Holy Spirit within us, this is so important to God. He lives and moves and he draws us to be together. That's why it's been so painful for so many and so painful for some of you at home right now. So longing to be together and unable to for such a period of time and yet to, 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 to not dismiss or to even try to resist that natural, awesome desire to be together as God's people. It's the working of the Spirit of God within us. Drawing His church for 2,000 years, specifically on the Lord's Day. It's precious, man. It's, it's beautiful. Again, you, you and me, we should feel almost like on Sundays, a magnet drawing us. This kind of supernatural, invisible power. Just kind of like, like a laser beam. Of, you know, drawing us to church to be together. That is right. That is, that is the Lord in us. That is awesome. And we mark the significance of this first day of the week. We don't get legalistic about this, as you know. This isn't something that if you don't do it a certain way or the right way, then somehow God's mad at you. That's not how we believe. It's the principle. It's beautiful. It's powerful. That's why Sunday mornings to me are so precious. No matter where I am in the world, no matter if we have the chance to actually gather, maybe we're in a location where we can't get somewhere, but Sunday mornings to me become so precious because it's the Lord's day. Certain things I just won't do on Sunday mornings. Not legalistically, in principle, to honor the fact this is a special time of the week dedicated for the things of Christ and the honor of the Lord. Remember that day in our society when all the stores were closed on Sunday? That was a cultural expression of the, of the reality that our nation was founded in the Judeo-Christian understanding, again, of the honor of the Lord. I, I, I am not saying it's wrong to shop. and I, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, remember, though, just the, it's the idea and then the Lord's day and the heart of honor that we present to our God with our hearts. And the church was doing this right here for one of the first times mentioned in the Bible, the Lord's day. Now we see this, the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 7. It says, we were gathered together to break bread. A break bread here is the Lord's Supper. In the early church, the Lord's Supper had two parts. The first part was the love feast or an agape meal, a meal they actually shared together. And the second part was what we understand as communion. So this is why it's often referred to in the New Testament as the breaking of bread. Because they did that as they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. This also highlights the importance of the Lord's Supper for the Lord's church, listen, on the Lord's day. Loved ones, it is precious to our God. It is precious. His supper and the gathering of his people and the remembrance of Jesus Christ, again, in this way. So notice what's happening here. The gospel is centered on all they do. The gospel, right? They meet on the Lord's day, Sunday, commemorating, or remembering, celebrating resurrection Sunday of Jesus Christ. Then they celebrate the Lord's Supper, remembering the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Everything what happens has such meaning and importance. From the crucifixion to the resurrection, the, the centrality of the gospel. I want you to think about this too, okay? When we gather as the church, that's one of the ways we remind ourselves to live out the gospel. 
the very gathering together, as we seek to do again in the coming weeks, we are living out the victory of the resurrection. As we seek to the Lord's Supper together, we are living out the remembrance again that he died for our sins. It's so important to see we come together to live out the gospel as one body. And all this in just one verse in Acts chapter 20. The Lord's Supper is so meaningful. Why? Because it is, it, is, it is fellowship with Christ. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. It's, the Lord's Supper presents an opportunity for fellowship with Christ in a way we cannot do in any other way. The Lord's Supper, there's, there's, there's a regularity given again, a, a, a frequency demonstrated within the New Testament. We are not prescribed. We believe in exact frequency, but there, again, there's a regularity. And this has been one of the great pains of being separated the last three months, isn't it? The inability to do this, to be together, to break bread, to remember the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Yes, we celebrate it on Good Friday, or some of us did in our homes, and that was special and can be very important. It's not the same, though. And it's not ideal. In the coming weeks, we pray, we'll be able in some form to once again gather together in the intimacy and the fellowship of the presence of Jesus Christ together as we uh, signify and remember and celebrate again his death for us and we remember that until he comes. Think about as the church here, as they, as they gather together in Troas and they, and they break bread in the Lord's Supper, think of they, they see, they taste they touch. They hold the cup. They, they hold the bread. They taste it in their mouths. They, they see the elements and they see their brothers and sisters around them and they sense the presence of Jesus Christ with them. Where else can you get that in life? Nowhere. I'm telling you the precious nature of the gathered church. And you know what? Some of us in the past three months some of us are tempted to forget the impact, the meaning, the power, the beauty, the blessing of what it means. Some of us are longing so much, but what happens is you start to get familiar with certain routines. Watch it. Just be very careful. All those watching right now love you so much. Just, just let's, let's all watch our hearts. Certain things, that, maybe habits, we're just like, well, you know, maybe... I, just, just be reminded by renewal of mind right now what matters most to the Lord. And I think we got to be patient. I'm not talking about timing. I'm not talking about movement, rushing. I'm just saying just, just to see the heart of Christ and what he cares about so much. I guess what I'm trying to say most of all, just keep longing for that which is most important to Christ. Keep desiring again to be able to come in this way and break bread with brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the Lord's Day, the Lord's Supper. Now we have this, the Lord's people. The Lord's people. Look again at verse 7. We were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them. What do we learn here? There's no church without God's people. This makes up the family of God, the bride of Christ, and the building of God. You can sense in this passage there's a longing to be together. I mean, the church in, in the first century, so much trial, so much, you know, in some ways, urgency, so much kind of organization of what's happening, so much life change, so much excitement here. But you can sense again here, there's a, there's a longing to be together. 
if you look at verses 4 and 5, the Bible explains to us just how cosmopolitan the church was. Right from the beginning, you have so many people from so many different places. You have such diversity, but again, you have such unity in the gospel. You see that in verses 4 and 5, again, people coming from all over the place and joining together. Again, cosmopolitan, but united, diverse, but united in the gospel. It's the Lord's people. The Lord's people are so precious. You know, as we continue to move through a series of crises in our day, many different crises have hit us in the last several weeks that really have become global in nature. I think as we talk about the Lord's people right here, we need to be aware that as a church family, we have a portion of our church family right now that is very much grieving and suffering in a very specific way. Particularly what I'm referring to, and especially the members of the black community here at Hope Bible Church. With the murder of George Floyd, and the grievous and heinous act of sin that was committed against him, and as that video went out across the world detailing that horrific scene that millions and millions have watched. There was understandably outrage and grief appropriately felt. And what we need to understand is this will not hit anyone more than those who find themselves again as brothers and sisters in the black community and specifically within our church here at Hope. I think every single one of us as we've watched and sought to try to understand, we would see the injustice and be sickened by the evil and the outright sin that, that it is. But what I have learned, what I have learned to a greater degree and what we all must learn is that when one part of our body hurts, we all must hurt with them. And there's a part of our body that is hurting right now when one part of our church grieves and some are suffering, we are commanded to grieve with them. I've been in conversation with some of our black brothers and sisters in recent days from this church, and honestly, it's been humbling, and at times it's been heartbreaking for me to listen. I want to encourage each of you maybe to do the same. To do the same if you haven't already, to reach out to black brothers and sisters in our church community. The evil of this murder has taken a toll of suffering and anger upon many in our family, and I know this too, some of you right now, some of you watching, you want to reach out, but the, the truth is you're not sure what to say. You know what I've learned? Don't say much at all. Ask a question, then just listen. And just listen. And weep with them. And pray with them. And love them. And try to give answers. Just listen. You know, in light of this, in light of this reality... In the coming days, Lord willing, we're going to have a panel being hosted by some black brothers and sisters in our church to hear their hearts and to hear their perspective and to grieve with them. Because we are the Lord's people. And this is what the Lord's people do. So God, help us in that. Help us in that and lead us in that as well. You see, the Lord loves the gathering of his church. And one of the frustrations that I've had during this COVID season, we're going through all these crises and all these crises and we can't be together. 
I, I can't see my brother and sister to see the pain in their face and to embrace them and hold them. It's been so frustrating at times. At the very time you kind of need each other most, you sense there's this physical separation that God has designed us to hug and embrace and be there and see again in person. One of the hardest times maybe we've ever gone through in certain, certain ways, we've never been more physically distanced. It's been frustrating, and yet we trust the Lord, and we understand, listen, the gathering of his church is so beautiful, so precious, it's his people. And you know, I think about the Lord's people and the Lord's church. I think about gathering as a family. I think about how many of you are longing to serve again. You haven't been able to serve in a certain way for three months. Maybe serving in some other ways. Praise God for that. But the desire to serve again and use your giftedness as God has called you to in the body of Christ. That's so good and so right. So many of us long to sing again together. We're tired of hearing our own voices in our homes. We just long, we, the, the Holy Spirit within us longs for us to be the family, the church, to be a witness of worship. It's beautiful. The Lord's day, the Lord's supper, the Lord's people, and now this, the, the Lord's word. The Lord's word. I told you this one verse, man, it's packed with ecclesiology. You learn so much about the purpose of the church right here. Look at verse 7 again. Paul talked with them, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Here, once again, we see the centrality of the word in the early church and setting the standard for the next, again, 2,000 years at least, up until this point. The centrality of the word has double meaning for me here. The word, as in capital W, Jesus Christ, everything that happens is central. It's focused on Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no church apart from him. But then we have this meaning of, look here, this word. And the whole purpose of this word is to point to the word, Jesus Christ. This whole message, this whole message ultimately points to the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. So we have the, the imperative and how critical it is that a church is centered on the word. This is what Paul's doing. He's teaching them the word. Remember, I say this all the time, the one tangible gift that God has given to his church is the Bible. And the Bible is used to glorify Jesus Christ, to see disciples made and to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. I read this brief quote this week. Jim McCarter said this, all scripture is God-breathed and he doesn't waste his breath. And the church then is wasting its time if it doesn't focus on the God-breathed, inspired, inerrant Word of God. And the Word becomes central. The primacy of preaching, specifically here, think about this, the preaching of the Word, the primacy, the power, the purpose of preaching all throughout history. Remember, remember Love and Love I was watching from home, I'm praying, praying, you're kind of maybe, maybe getting off the couch and leaning in a little bit. Like whenever this book is open, something supernatural happens. If there's no preaching, this pulpit being here holding up the very word of God, if, if the preaching doesn't happen, the church doesn't go forward. This is God's design. The incredible privilege and blessing and special supernatural process of the word being preached of Jesus Christ being exalted. It's so awesome, it's so powerful just to be reminded of this. How critical it is the church sits under the word 
And, and, and now you know why over the years I, I weep at churches that close the Bible and move on to other events. of the, I don't get that. You close the Bible, you close God's power, you close God's truth, you close any chance of being used of God. More than ever, you can't close, you got to open it. More than ever, you got to open this thing. And, and just as, as it's been said many times, Spurgeon, MacArthur, whoever, and just let, let the lion out of the cage. And God can defend himself as long as we are faithful to proclaim and preach his word. By the way, in our text here, I want you to notice that it's apparent as we do some of the, the chronological math here in the text that Paul preached for four hours. So the next time you're tempted to complain, right? You see what's happening here, okay? And then what, what an unpacking of ecclesiology in one verse. Isn't it so good and so encouraging? Listen, and the timing of God right now, I'm just, I'm just so thankful. The precious beauty of the gathered church. And then we'll just come to our second main and last point is this. We see a miracle in the midst of church. A miracle in the midst of church. And now, verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room. Okay, just notice the detail of the Bible, okay? It's setting the stage for why, uh, what happens next. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Kids, if you're tempted to fall asleep right now, wake up, okay, wake up. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him up in his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. I love when the Bible says these things. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. And they were not a little comforted. It's funny how the translation comes through like that. So you got to feel bad for Eutychus, don't you? You say, why? He's the one guy who fell asleep in the history of the church and was recorded for all of eternity. You know what I'm saying? How many other people fell asleep over the years? Millions, millions, and millions. By the way, this new kind of setup here right now, I can see everyone now visibly. So, like, it's much harder for you trying to sneak off in the back. I see you, Simon. I see you over there. Yeah, <laughs> I love you, man. That's so good. Notice, notice the Bible, though. Notice here, the Bible mentions many lamps. Okay, why is that important? Well, the lamps were gave for light, but they also gave heat. Notice they're in the upper room. He fell three stories. Heat rises. Like, like they're up there. It's going to be a really hot place. Uh, likely they were gathering on a steamy Mediterranean night, maybe very humid. Um, we already know they had eaten, so they had a full stomach. And then you have a sermon that goes on for hours. Okay, all of that is a recipe for a deep sleep, as the text says, right? It says he fell into a deep sleep, right? Notice the text mentions that Eutychus, probably sensing this, he's probably excited. Church is regathering. I mean, he doesn't want to fall asleep. He's probably a young teenager, by the way. And he's there and he wants to listen, so he goes for some fresh air. He goes to the window. Who can blame him? He's trying to, you know, trying to stay awake, whatever. But in the end, it gets the best of him, all these factors. And he nods off, falls into a deep sleep, and then he tragically falls three stories to his death. Now, we know how the story ends, but imagine being in the moment when it happens. I mean, the, the, the anticipation, the, the excitement, Paul's back, he's preaching the word, people are being so encouraged, they're breaking bread. And then in the midst of this, this immense and disastrous trial and suffering breaks out. 
Imagine the wailing of those in the church as they run down to the ground and see this young man dead. Imagine how distraught. Just, 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 just to imagine picturing that. I mean, it's, it's, it's real. They didn't know what was going to happen. But then there's Paul. And I want you to see this. He's filled with the Holy Spirit to lead. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit to speak. And he, he's filled with faith to see that Eutychus will be raised from the dead. He's filled with faith to see a miracle. Did you know that there are only seven instances in the Bible, aside from Jesus Christ himself, of people being raised from the dead? You know, Elijah and Elisha, they both raised someone from the dead. Uh, Jesus raised three people from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised the young man at Nain. And he raised, of course, most famously, good Bible trivia, Lazarus. Yes. And then Peter raises Dorcas to life in, in the book of Acts. And then we have here Paul raising Eutychus from the dead. I try to imagine the span of a few minutes. You have absolute tragedy here to absolute triumph in Christ. I love Paul's faith here. No fear in the face of death. No fear in the face of death. Whether his own or whether someone else's. Because what that's what the gospel ultimately does. The gospel ultimately says no guilt in life, no fear in death. My life is secure. My hope is certain. There's nothing I need be afraid of. Now I don't think any Christian today can expect the same as Eutychus. But listen, we can expect much more. You say, what do you mean? We can expect much more because we have the miracle of eternal life within us. You and I will never die. You and I will never lose. No matter what happens here on this earth. You and I know for sure exactly where we are going. And we know the Lord is so good and he has us. But we do pray, listen, we do pray that we would continue to see miracles of life change as the church begins to regather here at Hope Bible Church. So loved ones, as we wrap up our time today in the Lord's Word and the Lord's Day and thinking so much about the Lord's Supper and being with the Lord's people, I want you to discipline yourself right now and maybe just take a moment in stillness, watching from home, being here right now, just to take a moment to discipline yourself and to say to the Lord, thank Him for the Lord's Day and what it means. Thank him for the Lord's Supper and the remembrance of Jesus Christ. Thank him for the Lord's people. That where would we be without one another? Thank him for the Lord's word. Thank him for the Lord's power that he demonstrates on a daily basis. Let's just bow our heads. Let's take a moment just to go through this passage today. And to speak to the Lord in that way. Maybe your mind's been renewed today as to the beauty of the gathered church. Maybe your faith is rising. Maybe your gratitude is increasing. Maybe you've been humbled just with the idea of the beauty of the church and how precious it really is. The Lord loves to hear from his children. So Lord, we are your church and we are gathered 
we are gathered, uh, some of us in person right now, some of us, most of us at home, but we are gathered. And I pray, Lord, you will allow us to have a sense of joy and tremendous passion as we sing this final song. Lord, I pray you will allow us to get a little bit rowdy even in the, in the joy and the victory we have in Jesus Christ. And so, church, I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to sing now with great joy and faith together in Jesus' name. Amen.